Sometimes I under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, welcome back, folks. Happy right, Tuesday. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable, the Knock Edition, where we talk about various parts of Scripture that don't uh, oftentimes at least get quite as much coverage from uh, some of the other shows. In any case, what we've been doing for quite a while now is going through some of the uh, prophets in particular, and uh, we are, um, well, about to... Most of the way through the book of Ezekiel, and uh, we're ready for chapter 40, although it turns out MP says he's not quite ready for chapter 40. Got some stuff that he wants to talk about uh, in chapter 39 before we move on. So um, let me just kind of give a, a brief introduction. I won't read the whole thing. He wanted me to start all the way back at verse 21. But essentially... The uh, the theme here, as I've suggested, is that various folks, including the goyim, the nations, uh, some renders say the Gentiles, that would be a pagan uh, cast on this idea of the nations, but we know that those that were cast out of the tribe of Israel uh, were scattered, the lost tribes, and um, some of them were Gentiles. Some of them don't know their identity. But anyway, the goyim, says verse 23, shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their Torahlessness, their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them unto the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and their transgressions, I've dealt with them and hidden my face from them. And I suggested last week, and I'll suggest again, that that is uh, arguably, in large part at least, still the case. Lots of hiding his face going on because lots of Torahlessness, iniquity, paganism still going on. Therefore, thus says Yehuelohekam, now I will bring back the captives of Yaakov and have mercy on coal, all of the house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. You know, the name that they take out and replace with capital L-O-R-D. After they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me while they dwell safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. So um, the question I like to ask is, has that happened? Are we there yet? Um, arguably, we're still dr- dwelling in our own land or at least a land that we have been brought to and um while the uh, big brother aspects may make people afraid, a lot of them still don't believe that what's going to happen is, is in progress. So when I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' hands or lands, and I'm hallowed in them at the sight of many nations, then they shall know, and here it is again, Kiani Yahuwah, Eloheka, I am Yahuwah their El, who sent them into captivity among the nations of Goim, but also brought them back to their land, and none of them are captive any longer. And um, this is the place where I will suggest that um, we're not there yet. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, he says, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says Yahuwah Eloheka. And uh, would that it would happen, and uh, we'll see it, but we're, again, I don't believe we're there yet. All right, go ahead, MP. All right, thank you. Yeah, verse 23 refers to the house of Israel going into captivity due to her iniquity. Um the, the Hebrew for iniquity is mem ayin lamed, na'al, uh, deception. 
Okay, that's that was their their iniquity. They were deceiving people. Now Yah goes on to say that they dis, uh, tried to deceive him. So they obviously didn't believe that he was omniscient or omnipresent, knows everything and is present everywhere all at once. In other words, when you think you're getting away with sinning because no one can see you trans, uh, transgressing, you are wrong. Obviously, Israel was lying to itself, and the likely promulgators of that falsity was the priests of Yah. Perhaps not in word, but probably in deed. And we all transgress that from time to time, if we are honest with ourselves. But if we come clean with ourselves and with Yah, he is faithful to forgive even the most egregious sins. In our passage, Israel will not acknowledge its sin either individually or corporately, and so they will suffer their punishment, exile and or death, before the heathen from the north. And in verse 24, they will get everything that they deserve, singly, corporately, or both, and there will be no comfort from Yah. Gog Umagog will defeat them and carry them off to the north. It hasn't happened yet. Okay, <laughs> I'm waiting on it. Okay, now has Israel been carried off to the north? Well, there's a pretty large Israelite Jewish population in Russia, Ukraine, and the rest of Europe and the world, including in North and South America and uttermost parts of the earth. But Gog Umagog have, by now, made their own ways to the uttermost parts of the earth, as has Israel. Now, in verses 25 to 29, what do you, what do, you do when you see a wherefore or a therefore? Well, you look to see what it's there for, right? What it's there for is to comfort what uh, the comfort that comes when Israel, while in captivity, sees this prophecy as the reasons for their captivity, and that it was applied to the latest generations of their past, and as a result, turn from their wicked ways of their parents, going back as many generations as it goes, and to see and believe that Yah's promise of redemption from their fate when they shuv, when they repent of their sins and return to Yah's word as the guide for their lives, and then ask for his deliverance. Where KJV says, bring again, Yah means that he will again answer Israel's prayer for deliverance with a miraculous turning of their corporate heart back to him and his returning them to their inheritance. All they had to do was change their minds and ask. Yah, in verse 25, has always been jealous of this, his set-apart covenant name, Yehovah, uh, how the Chumash's uh, Masoretic text has it ball-appointed here, <clears throat> and I will defer to the actual Hebrew scholars until Yah proves to me that they're wrong. Okay, anyway, well, quick pause. When? Quick pause. Uh, this is the point that I make, and, and when, when I hear that, I always think, well, wait a second. I know some Hebrew scholars. They'll tell me how it's pronounced, but guess what? They're telling me how it's pronounced in modern Hebrew, and we don't have any indication. As a matter of fact, we have some, some indications to the contrary that the rabbis, years and years ago, may have changed the rules of grammar so as to hide the inevitable name and make sure that people didn't know how to pronounce it since they were going to hide it, call him Hashem and other things. So that's why I, I fall back on the, what do we have? Do we 
we have a tape recording because that's the only one we're going to know. And uh, to my uh, satisfaction, the closest thing we have, and actually I could I could talk about this at some length, I won't, but it's the idea of uh, one word, hallelujah, which has been preserved in 600 plus unique, different, different spelling, different character sets, human languages. And in all of those, he has preserved the pronunciation of that word, hallelujah, regardless of how it's spelled. And it means praise ye Yah. So yeah. I think we can draw some conclusions from there. And whether the Hebrew scholars agree or not, uh, what we have are some uh, some arguments that I would say are at least uh, persuasive to uh, engineers and statisticians and people that say, wow, uh, you know, languages don't preserve sounds like that without some reason. They tend to uh, evolve in certain ways, change over time. Amen. Amen. So, Israel has to acknowledge that they and their fathers knew what they were doing was in direct disobedience to his word that he had put in their hearts. They had to recognize their personal culpability and shuv, turn from their personal wickedness and to his set-apart word. When they did that, each individually and all corporately, then they would be delivered en masse to their land. Now, may it be soon and in our days, because I don't want to go through the Gog Magog kind of thing. When they, en masse, turn to Yah's ways, so that the heathen can see their hearts have changed, and he delivers them to their own land, then they, that is Israel, will acknowledge their culpability and Yah's righteousness in his exiling them from his land, but has now gathered them back to it en masse, total deliverance of Israel to Yah's land. And that, I'm sorry, when that happens, it will be for all eternity future. Yah promises to never hide his face from Israel again because he will have poured his spirit out on onto and into them so that they are without any blemish. To quote Rob Miller, forever. Please notice that the one doing the promising throughout this chapter has been Adonai Yehovah, Yah Yeshua, has risen from the dead, in my not-so-humble opinion. And that's what I got through the end of this chapter. Okay, Ken, do you have anything you want to add, or should we continue on? And I'll say good um, afternoon, too, by the way. No, I, yeah, I think I went ahead and commented on all this, so I, I don't want to repeat myself. All right. Let's, let's go ahead and move on. Well, you're always welcome to come up with something new, of course, too. Um, but But here we go. So um, in the 25th year, this is uh, this is obviously kind of a major change and a um, a different tack. The 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, on the 14th day after the city was captured, the very same day the hand of Yahuwah was upon me, and he took me there. And I'm going to read uh, not all of this, but I'm going to read a part of it, and we'll get the, the flavor for it. In the visions of Elohim, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. Mountain, On it, toward the south, was something like the structure of a city. And notice he doesn't say it was a city. He says it was kind of like the city uh, or a city. Then he took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. So uh, copper-colored, dark, ruddy. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears, and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you are brought here so that I might show to you. And therefore, he says, declare to the house of Israel everything you see. So his mission, 
take a look, observe, and declare. Now, there was a wall all around the outside of the temple. Or the bait, in this case, is the word that was used in the original Hebrew, says the footnote. In the man's hand, a measuring rod, six cubits. A cubit and a handbreadth. So essentially, the way this sounds is uh, there's been terms used like royal cubits, but this was slightly a longer cubit than the normal about 18 inches that we might think of. And he measured the width of the wall right. structure, one rod, and uh, height, also one rod. So if the rod is six cubits long, and a cubit in this case is a little over a foot and a half, so a foot and a half times six would be nine, a little bit longer is um, just a little over ten feet is probably what this rod is. Now, when I read through this, um, it may be a little short, but I think of it as about ten feet as a rod that is being described here. Then, he went to the gateway which faced east, and he went up its stairs and measured the threshold of the gateway. One rod wide, the other threshold, one rod wide. Each gate chamber was one rod long, one rod wide. So ten foot by ten foot are a lot of these things. Between the gate chambers, five cubits, and the threshold of the gateway was a vestibule of the inside of the gate. That was also one rod. He measured the vestibule of the inside gate, one rod, so lots of ten foot again. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits. The gate posts, two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was on the inside. Now let's pause there. We'll go uh, to Ken first and see if he has anything he wants to add. What we're going to see for the next, uh, essentially most of the rest of the chapter here, is a description of the um, of the... The, this building itself, the inner court, the outer court, the vestibules, the gates, the chambers, and where the roof lines were and so forth. So with that, uh, let's pause and say, uh, Ken, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I can definitely touch on this uh, the way I'm seeing it here. Um, I, I do notice that we're now in the 25th year of our captivity, and then it, it also – that equals apparently – the 14th year after the city was smitten. Um, I, I think the last time we saw a, um, a time frame was something like 12 years uh, afterwards. And, so and these I are not necessarily chronological anyway. Just bear that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, right. It does jump around a little bit. But I, I feel like we are still at a point where uh, Yisrael has been brought back, has been saved. And I feel like this is that temple made without the hands of man. Okay? Now, now firstly, um, this is a vision, remember? In verse 2, it says that this is a, uh, a vision of Yah that, that he was given. So, of course, he's not really there. As we've been going through this whole um, scroll of, of Ezekiel, it's always where Yah brings him in his mind in, in these visions, okay? But he was brought to, it says, the frame of a city, and usually a city is where there are a lot of people. That, that's usually what the purpose of a city is, is the congregation of a whole lot of people. And I feel like this is the idea of the temple, is to show that this is where his people are. And, and right away... We, he, he, he is confronted with a man, right? A man who has a rod and he stands at the gate. Now we should know right away what this has to do with if, if, if it, if it's uh, related to standing in the gate. I want, I want to give a few examples 
just so we get a feel of this. Firstly, recall, I mean, we know how this temple is kind of laid out, that there is a outer wall around this whole thing, okay? And, and the purpose in a wall is to separate. It's to separate those inside from those outside. And this is like pretty much like any city, okay? Many cities, um, you know, purposely built walls for the purpose of uh, protecting themselves or separating themselves physically from all those outside, you know, because they were a different kind of people on the outside than from the people who were on the inside. And the gate was where people were either let out or let in. And and I want to give a few examples of this. Let us touch on, firstly, Breshit or Genesis 19.1, where it's written, And there came two angels to Saddam at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Saddam, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, here is where Lot is literally sitting in the gate. Now, why do you think, you know, he's sitting in the gate? Well, again, what would a gate be used for? You're, you're allowing people in and out. In other words, there must be judgment going on here. Okay? Well, that's, that's Those who are precisely where it was. Are being looked at. I'm sorry? The, the fact that he sat in the gates of the city is traditionally precisely where the judges, the elders, the people who were exactly. essentially the, 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 the main guys of the city would sit. So the gates of the city literally means exactly. that he was a person that was uh, held in, a, in, in some degree of responsibility. Right, exactly. And we have a few examples that, that really, you know, um, coincide with this. Let's look at Deborim or Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, where it's written, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which Yahuwah thy Elohim giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. And here we have exactly what what you all are saying, too. The judges and officers are literally kept at the gates. They're, they're in the gates and they are judging people. And of course they're judging with just judgment, which, which means they should be righteous. Uh, this is Isaiah 26 verse 2. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Now here of course opening the gate would mean, ah, those who are coming in must be righteous and they're let in, right? And, and I really like this one, Psalm 100, verse 4. It's written, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. So here's here's yet another example of really his courts, you know, where these are his gates, and you know that if you're allowed in here, you are one with him. And you better be thankful. You better be full of praise. And, of course, you would always bless his name because his name has to do with the authority of this place. And you desire that. And you're there for that, aren't you? <laughs> you want him as your authority. Hallelujah. Um. So I, I I just wanted to touch on this so that we know that this person is apparently a righteous one who is judging, okay? And he has a measuring rod, okay? So we know that people, those those who are coming in and out of the, out of the gate, 
are being measured. And, and what are they being measured to? Well, here is what is being laid out. This entire temple is being laid out. And, and what are the first words he says right after um, Yah puts his his man, Ezekiel, before this judge? It said, and the man said in verse 4 unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes and hear with thine ears and set thine heart upon all that I show thee. Or to the intent that, which is actually the uh, the Hebrew word ma'an, which really has to do with heeding, okay, making this the the order of that I might show thee what what has been brought hither, and declare it unto all really of the house of Israel. Now. I want to give you a couple of related verses that kind of help us understand what this man is saying here. Let's look at this this incident that happened in Deborim 29, verses 4 through 15. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to read the first and last chunks of it. Deborim 29, verse 4 says, Yet Yahuwah hath not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear, Unto this day, really, uh, uh, until this day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and thy shoe is not waxen old upon thy foot. Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that you might know that I am Yahuwah your Elohim. So this is how he starts this off. And, and what is this all about? I'm going to jump to verse 9. Keep, therefore, the words of this covenant and do them that that ye may prosper in all that ye do. Ye stand this day, all of you, before Yahuwah your Elohim, your captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer, drawer of thy water, meaning all the people, in other words. <laughs> that thou shouldest enter into covenant with Yahuwah thy Elohim and into his oath, which Yahuwah thy Elohim maketh with you this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee your Elohim, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Yitzhak, and to Yaakov, Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before Yahuwah Elohim, and also with him that is not with us this day. Oh boy, guess who that is? All those who are not there in that day includes all of us even in this day. Okay? <laughs> this covenant is for all of us. And what does it have to do with? is being one with him, you know? This is where we are going to covenant with him. He becomes our Elohim, and we become his people. And that, isn't that what we've been talking about the last couple chapters? Isn't that what's going on here, this this huge change? We're all being changed, it says. And now, all of a sudden, what's presented before Ezekiel is the tabernacle, you know? So I, I think we're literally going to see this this sort of diagram 
of how Yah sees all of us together as one with him, which I, I believe is this tabernacle, not the one made with the hands of man, but possibly with the one made by his hands, which we're all a part of, you know? Um, so anyway, um, that's why I think verse 4 is so important that this is a heart matter, you know? And, and, and what is it that this man is saying, which, of course, is, is really from Yah, because it's a vision, is that Ezekiel is to show this to the whole house of Israel and put it in their heart. This is the second segment of the Torah Teachers Roundtable, talking about Ezekiel chapter 40 today and some measurements, a whole lot of measurements this is going to turn out, of something that looks like a city and a temple that looks like it's in the city. So uh, let's uh, go back to Ken. He got interrupted at the break and pick it up uh, with him. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, like I was saying, there's, there is this outer wall, it says in verse 5, behold, a wall on the outside of the house round about. Um, interesting, too. That's the word sabib mentioned twice, encircled. Um, and it, it is kind of interesting that there really are two circles, too. There's an inner circle and an outer circle. Now, I don't know if, if that's why there's two mentionings of this word sabib. Uh, it could be that the outer wall is considered, you know, a, a stronger or a, a bigger circle. So they so they see it twice for emphasis. Well, you know, the outer wall has how, to be a bigger circle. Yes, right. Yeah, much bigger, of course. Um, but still, no matter what part of this it is, there is measurement. So, again, you know, everything is measured against the tabernacle. So, to me, every little thing about this entire structure. I mean from the from the outer wall, which of course I believe separates the, the rest of the world from uh what he expects, what you know, what uh coming to be Echad or one with him um entails would be everything inside of the outer wall. 
because I do believe there is still um, atonement going on because of the fact that we're going to see that there is an altar in the midst of this. Okay, uh, but anyway, so even this this outer wall is, is very crucial in that, of course, it separates the 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 outer world. Maybe it's the outer part of the city, you know, uh, where um, not everyone who is so-called perfected in this future day um, can come in. Okay, they have to be judged. They have to be desiring to to become one with Yah and to learn. Now, I, I believe that we're going to find more about all that here momentarily, so I won't touch on that. But but anyway. Uh, so, so we have this outer wall, and it's measured as well. So the the wall and the gates that that allow people in, and and we're going to see that there's only three directions, not not on the western end, but there's gates on the north, south, and eastern side, um, which we know that's that's kind of how things were um, in Jerusalem as well, uh, were they not? I'm trying to remember if there was a a western gate. I don't know. Maybe there was in 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 Jerusalem. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, you know, normally you would come sides, east. Our, yeah. All four sides. Okay. Uh, yeah, this this one's a little bit different. We're only going to see three sides: um, north, south, and east. And and that is is kind of the same structure as when you're looking at the tabernacle that Moshe built. You know, um, there are Always things referenced to the south, things referenced to the north, and things referenced to the east. But as you come in from the east and you work your way to the west, uh, as, as far west as you can go, that's where he is. <laughs> he is he is against the west side. And we're, we're going to kind of see that here as well. So that's that's why it's all kind of focused on this direction towards the west. Because that's where the temple is on the western side of this whole structure, okay? Um, but still, you see that he came unto the gate, which looketh toward the east first, in, in verse six. Okay, there's there's these three three main gates on this outer wall, but the eastern one is more important because that's kind of the way that it always was, even from the very first um, structure that Moshe built. Which was a a vision. He was shown the same thing, and so pattern, he was yep. trying to build it. Yeah, build it according to the vision he was given. You know, so again, this this is a vision. So it it's, it doesn't have to be the exact physical thing that is being seen. It could be, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it, it, it's something physical that's going to help us understand a something model. more spiritual. A model, a pattern. I'm so, yeah, like like metaphoric, so to speak. Um, and let me let me just go ahead and stop there. I think I'll stop there before I touch on moving towards the inside. But uh, yeah, just just no. Uh, from what we're seeing here is that. The, it starts with the outer gate, and all of this is measured. So there is true, true judgment, true right, true righteousness in, in all of this. You know, that's that's what I think is most important about it all. So anyway, I'll, I'll stop there.
Okay, go ahead, MP. All right. All right. Um, in Schottenstein's Chumash, uh, the, I'm sorry, this is the, uh, the Stone's Tanakh. Stone's Tanakh. Um, in the back of the book, you've got an extensive uh, appendices. And in Appendix C is a diagram of the Third Temple, which is what we're talking about right here in this chapter. And uh, what Ken was talking about is, you know, there are, there are three entrances to this, uh, this temple. It's, uh, it's set up with an eastern gate looking out towards the, the uh, Mount of Olives. And then there's a northern gate and a southern gate. And there is no western gate because on the western end of this thing is the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh Kadashim. Okay, so, and, and it's, it's laid out really, really, uh, uh, it, it, it has a, a great organization in it. And this is a, this is a really wild uh, commentary. It just, it takes what is in this script, this passage right here, or this chapter right here, and it lays it out for everybody to see. So if you get a chance on that, if you got a stone to knock, you you ought to you ought to open that up to page two thousand and forty-two. It's in the appendix C. Anyway, uh, here's a zamra on the words of verse one. Okay, opening words on verse one. Here's what they say: After the completion of Ezekiel's prophecy of the war of Gog and Magog, we now come to the triumphant closing section of this book in chapters forty through forty-eight prophesying the final order that will prevail in the world at the end of days with the restoration of the Holy Temple and the coming of Melech HaMashiach when the 12 tribes of Israel will dwell securely and at peace in their land. This will be the final settlement when the world will attain a state of complete rectification or tikkun. Okay, my son is a a, a cantor at Bet Tikkun in uh, Akron, Ohio here. Anyway, <clears throat> Schottenstein's Humash, or Tanakh rather, quoting Rashi, has this on verse 1. The Talmud, Arachim 12a, explains that the vision took place in a Yovel year. The special laws of the Yovel take effect on the 10th of Tishrei, Yom Kippur. The prophet, therefore, calls that day Rosh Hashanah, literally the beginning or head of the year. Now, the Etymological Dictionary Biblical Hebrew has a has the root word of Hashanah as Shana, to change or repeat. The months do repeat themselves every year, so that, that makes sense, except that in every third year, there is an Adar Bet, a second month of Adar, uh, to act like a solar leap year. Okay, remember that the Hebrew calendar is based on the moon, so the triennial Adar Bet does the same as the leap year of February 29th, okay, on the Roman calendar and the Western Christian use, the Christian Christian world uses. Now, here's a Zamra on verse 1. They say, in the 25th year after our exile, at the beginning of the year, Rosh Hashanah, literally the head of the year or the birth of the year, on the 10th of the month, okay, verse 1, since Rosh Hashanah, this is their commentary, Rosh Hashanah is normally celebrated on the first of the month of Tishrei. The dating of this prophecy to Rosh Hashanah and the tenth of the month Yom Kippur is a seeming self-contradiction. This is resolved through the teaching of our rabbis that Yechezkel received this prophecy in the Jubilee year, which is inaugurated 
with the sounding of the shofar throughout the land of Israel on Yom HaKippurim, thus, or which is thus Rosh Hashanah of the Jubilee year. Uh, Leviticus 25.9, it says, see Rashi on verse 1. Now, since all the slaves, I'm still quoting Azamra, since all the slaves are freed in the Jubilee year and all lands have been, that have been re- sold returned to the original owners, it is appropriate that this prophecy of complete redemption and restoration should have been taken place and been received on this auspicious day of liberation. Now, here's Leviticus 25, 8 through 9. Um, and the, uh, 28, 8, 8 through 9, I'm sorry. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years until the uh, until thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Shabbats of years shall be unto thee forty-nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. All right, that's verse one. Now verse two, Zeke is taken in his spirit to the land and set on a very lofty mountain. Which mountain we are not told specifically, but the Temple Mount is, spiritually at least, the highest place on the planet. Anywhere on earth, one must, in the spirit, go up to Yerushalayim, even if you are Sir Edmund Hillary and you've just summited Mount Everest. The description given as far as verse 2 seems to be Yerushalayim as the city proper is to the south of Mount Moriah. If the mountains, the mountain is the Temple Mount, the city would be, in Zeke's day anyway, to its south. Stones Tanakh has this brief comment. Ezekiel saw a vision of the future city. In ancient times, most of Yerushalayim was south of the Temple Mount. And really and truly, most of it is still today. Now, here's a Zamra on verse 2. In the visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel. That was in verse 2. Now, we, he did not actually take me there, but showed it to me as if I was there. That's what Rashi has to say. And set me upon a very high mountain, in verse 2. This is the Temple Mount. God showed it to him as being very high indeed, for it will be on a, a very high and exalted level, as it is written, Established shall be the mountain of the house of Hashem in the head of the mountains and exalted above the hills. That's Isaiah 2.2, Radak on verse 2 of our present chapter. Then, on verse 3, Stone Sanak adds this. This description of angelic beings also being appears in chapter 1 and verse 7. Azamra adds this on verse 3. This was the same color as the radiance of the Chayot, who were flashing like the color of burnished bronze. That's Ezekiel 1.7, Rashi on verse 3 of our present chapter. The linen cord in the angel's hand was to measure the dimensions of the various temple courtyards, while his measuring rod was to measure the thickness of the walls and the height and breadth of the gates. Tanakh has the word copper, where KJV says brass. Brass is an alloy of copper and zinc, so both are technically correct. Well, I would lean toward brass in the case of accoutrements pertaining to the offerings in the Mishkan, as it, being an alloy, would likely be superior strength and less likely to tarnish. I'm sure that the Kohanim would keep up the maintenance for as long as they were after Yah's heart. 
by this time about to be carried unceremoniously to Babylon, they had possibly allowed it to go to seed, as it were. In verse 4, the man-angel of Yah said, in a marked paraphrase, Ben-Adam, see and hear and take to heart what I am about to show you, because that's the reason I brought you here, so that you can be the true witness of my last attempt to wake Yehuda up. But Yehuda either wasn't listening, or they thought Zeke was kidding. Azamra gave its subscribers a link to see Ezekiel 40 uh, and following temple. I gave you guys that link as a computer-generated slideshow. slideshow. The address, um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read it, but uh, you guys have it. If you want to put it in the, in the text notes, um, um, Mark, you can. And here's Azamra on verse four, and I'll finish with this for now. And the man said to me, son of man, see with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to all that I will show you. Tell all that you see to the house of Israel. Verse 4. The angel stood ready to take Ezekiel on the complete virtual tour of the future temple, explaining the de in detailed measurements of every wall, courtyard, gate, and chamber, in order that he should go back to the people and teach them the form of the temple. And exactly what we read is in this map that I've got of this temple in the back of Stone's Tanakh. This was a this was a well-spent 40 bucks for this book. Okay? So anyway, that's what I got through verse 4, unless you'd like me to continue. No, uh, let's let's see if we have any... Do you have any comments? You want Anything you want to add on that or, or uh, whatever, uh, Ken? Uh, no, I, I, I think I had finished up to about verse 8, so I'm ready to kind of read on if, if that's possible. Okay, are you ready to read on, Mark? Is that all right? We can read on, yeah, but I'm, I'm still behind you. <laughs> well, let's read on. Uh, well, then, then you can catch up because there's a, there's a lot of uh, numbers and and uh, indications in here that I'm sure we'll we'll just want to hopefully have some discussion about. My question, as I read through here, is obviously it's a detailed description. So um, the question would be, why? What's the point? Where's he Where's he headed? So I'd, I'd like, as we go through here, to discuss what it is that's being laid out. And, and uh, you know, obviously there are some pat answers, but let's see if we can't go just a bit deeper. So, in any case, um, then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and the gate post, two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was on the inside. In the eastern gateway were three chambers on one side and three on the other. So we got an eastern gateway or a... Um, an entrance, and there are three chambers on one side and three on the opposite side. So there's going to be, uh, at least it seems to me, on the north and south sides of this entrance. Uh, and the gate posts uh, were all the same size, and the gate posts were of the same size on this side and on that side. So the gate posts were the same uh, side as, uh, size as well. It was symmetrical. He measured the width of the entrance to the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. There was a space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit this side, one cubit on that side. So again, symmetrical. The gate chambers were six cubits on this side, six cubits on that side. Then he measured the gateway from the roof of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. The width was 25 cubits as door faces door. He measured the gate posts, 60 cubits high, and the court all around the gateway extended to the gate post. 
From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule of the inner gate was 50 cubits. So it's big on the inside once we get in. Uh, there were beveled window frames on the gate chambers and in their intervening archways on the inside of the gateway all around. And likewise in the vestibules. There were windows all around on the inside and on each gate post were palm trees. Okay, let's go back to you, MP. All right, uh, I'm going to cover five and six maybe. Here, here, Yah seems to be using what may be called a royal cubit measuring reed. Uh, Stones Tanakh has a good comment on this. They say, not all scriptural cubits are the same. Some are five hand breadths, some are six. The cubits of our passage are the longer ones. Each was a five hand breadth cubit and an additional hand breadth, and a hand breadth being three or four inches. So he's talking about anywhere from 18 to 24 inches, a foot and a half to two feet. And that's just about right. Um, roughly 15 to 20 inch cubit is what I think it is. Anyway, a cubit is appropriate, approximately the length of your lower arm, from the elbow to the middle of your fingertip of a flat open hand. You can probably imagine how diff- different a cubit could be depending on who is doing the measuring. I'm six feet four, 76 inches tall, and my cubit is 19 inches right about, approximately one quarter of my height. The average Israelite in Yehezkel's day was about 5'6 or 5'10, maybe shorter. But who knows? Maybe Zeke was unusually tall. We do know that in Yah's eyes, he was a giant by comparison to the average Yehudi. Now, Azamra has this on the second temple. And this is the quote direct from them. Despite the fact that Ezekiel's prophecy was received well in advance of the building of the second temple, it should be emphasized that what Ezekiel saw was not the exact form of which the second temple was actually built. In the words of Rambam uh, in Hilchos Beit uh, Habechera, uh, the building of Shlomo's temple, the first temple, had already been clearly explained in the book of Kings. Now, the form of the, te- the temple that is destined to be built in the future is written in the book of Ezekiel, but it is not clearly explained. And when the men of the second temple built it in the time of Ezra, they built it like Shlomo's temple, with certain details th- that were explained in Ezekiel. Now, it would appear that the builders of the second temple did not believe that the world had yet reached the level of perfection which Ezekiel's temple expressed. We may infer from Rambam's words that until now, the temple prophesied by Ezekiel has never been built and that this is, therefore, the form of the future temple for which we are praying and awaiting every day. That's from Azamra. Now, the next minute or two will be a quick reference from at least one actual Hebrew rabbi, Rebbe Greenbaum of Azamra, offers this note, not associated with TTRT's Three Stooges. Okay, Ezekiel's vision of the future temple and its meaning is the subject of the Kabbalistic classic Mishkanei Elyon, Dwelling Places of the Supreme, by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, Ram Chal, 1707-1747, which the present author had the privilege of translating into English under the titles of The Secrets of the Future Temple, with full introduction, maps, and diagrams. That work is available for a free download at azamra.org slash secrets.shtml. That will be a seriously deep study, 
I have a copy of 138 Openings of Wisdom by Luzado, and it is not an easy read. Okay, Rabbi Greenbaum continues his lesson. He says, Ramchal explains that the temple is the center point where all the different branches of the tree of life connect with its roots, channeling a flow of sustenance and blessing to the entire world. The different areas of the temple radiating outwards from the Even Sheshiah, the foundation stone, in the Holy of Holies, to the surrounding courtyards to the te- on the Temple Mount correspond to the four Kabbalistic worlds. The detailed dimensions of the various temple chambers, walls, and gates correspond to various divine names and attributes because the Hebrew letters that make them up all have numerical values. These names and attributes interact with one another to create a three-dimensional hologram expressing through a unique form of sacred geometry the spiritual kingdom through which this world is governed. Through the study of the form of the future temple and its meaning, you will know how the king of kings of kings watches over his creatures and conducts his universe in an ordered manner. Be able to understand. God, I'm okay, we are at the break. We'll pick it up somewhere in that vicinity when we get back. Because I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday need a lot to turn around because all my life I've been waiting for, I've been praying for, for the people to say that we don't want to fight no more. There'll be no more war, and our children will Sometimes I Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, we are back, folks. The uh, second hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Tanakh edition. And uh, let's see, um, it was a long break. Where were we at? Uh, I think we interrupted MP, if I'm right. Uh, go ahead, Mark. If not, yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Okay. I was cut off in the middle of a quote, so I'm going to go to back to the middle of the quote. Um, let's see. The detailed dimensions of the various temple chambers, walls, and gates correspond to various divine names and attributes because the Hebrew letters that make them up all have numerical values. These names and attributes interact with one another to create a three-dimensional hologram expressing uh, uh, through a unique form of sacred geometry the spiritual kingdom through which this world is governed. Through the study of the form of the future temple and its meaning, quote, you will know how the king of kings of kings watches over his creatures and conducts his universe in an ordered manner. You will be able to understand the way the world is run and how God gives each day's portion of food 
and sustenance to all his creatures, each in his own time. That's according to Ramchal, uh, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Luzato, in his book Mishkene Elyon. Okay, uh, can I move on f- from 6 to 10? <laughs> Ken, do you want to comment or, or not? Because I, I think uh, Ken has been there already. He's Okay, okay. so I'll start here by quoting Azamra on this. Okay, the route by which the angel took Ezekiel on his virtual tour of the future temple began at the outer wall of the Temple Mount. Um, from there, from here, the angel took him through the eastern gate, showing him the cells, flanking it on both sides, on the outside of the wall, and the vestibule that stood before it inside the outer courtyard, verses 5 through 16. Now, those familiar with the ground plan of the first and second temples should note that the fundamental difference in the design of the future temple is that the outer courtyard, corresponding to Ezra's Nashim, women's courtyard, will entirely surround the temple sanctuary and inner courtyard uh, on all sides. Whereas in the first and second temples, the Ezra's Nashim adjoined the inner courtyard on one side only, but did not surround it on all sides. Okay, now in in the Mishkan of the third temple, this is me now, uh, the third future temple, to which Zeke refers in this chapter, the Kohen bringing the offering will carry the burnt offering to the altar while facing north. So when we are going to be, so what we are going to be looking at for the rest of the chapter are some hard to grasp in our finite minds realities of the future temple. The Stones edition of Tanakh has a good map of the future temple of our of our chapter on page 2042. I'm looking at it right now, to which I will refer. Stones does not say that it is accurate, only that this was the best they could do without a mind in perfect contact with Hashem. Now, the Kodesh Kadashim, the Holy of Holies, is to the west of the altar, which is the centerpiece of the entire building, with a ramp approaching from the south and the altar itself taking center stage, as it were. The altar on which the bulls, goats, and other offering stuff was actually offered will be in the precise center of the temple, if Stones got it right. The ramp will cover the modesty of the priest as he ascends toward the altar itself to offer the offerings. It doesn't say so, but it is possible that an observer from the ground and looking as the priest ascended toward the altar with the offering, could have gotten a glimpse under the hem of the priest's garment. I would assume that they had a short riser wall on the ramp's edges to keep witnesses from seeing the private priest parts as he ascended toward the altar and were descended, then descended via the same ramp. Okay, the east gate, is. this is a one more paragraph and I'm done. The east gate is the one that the priest approaches with the back with his back to the Kodesh Kadashim, the Holy of Holies. The he to whom Zeke refers is most likely the risen Yeshua HaMashiach. Now when he approaches to the east, he is facing the Mount of Olives across the valley, where the, where Yehuda would betray him to the chief priests of Israel about nine hundred years hence. He has gone there to measure the gate which is exactly one reed wide, as are all six chambers of the chambers inside the gate. 
three to the left and three to the right, of vice, of vice and vice versa on the way out. Uh, each chamber, as I as one read, times one read by one read by however high the chamber was. You mean rod? It isn't given. I'm sorry. A rod? Is that what you're saying? What we're, what I was reading as a rod? Um, I believe that's correct. Yes, one read is what it says. Rod is probably correct. Okay. Well, I, I mean, to our minds. Okay. Now, to my mind, the description in English is to a bit weak. Not enough detail given for us to know, which may be why, by Yaz's design, he may not want us to attempt building one. I truly believe he made it cryptic specifically so that we couldn't duplicate it and then defile his perfection. That's what I got through verse 10. Okay. I, I guess in comment to that, all I would say is that uh, there are places in Scripture where he tells us, for example, about the uh, the holy incense or the anointing oil, and he's, he's real clear. He says, don't you make any like this. So I'm not sure if I would quite go there, but it's an interesting question anyway. Well, yeah, the, if, if he's given us really specific um, uh, measurements and stuff here, so we can probably duplicate this. But it would not be a perfect duplication because he was using different materials than we would be, and that would be a big Oh, yeah, difference. well, there's a lot of detail here, but there's not nearly enough, and that's, that's, that's part of the difficulty, I think, in, in reading through it. So uh, it's an interesting comment, at least, as to whether or not that's part of the reason. Uh, and I think that's part of it. When we read through the temple construction and the Mishkan, uh, in the, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness and so forth, uh, there are – I've even seen some interesting um, – Claims that maybe the uh, the Mishkan was a dome of some kind, and uh, you know if you uh, if you lay it out right, those measurements fit. So the question is, what was it really? And and I think that's the reason why it says, hey, according to the pattern that I've shown you, Moshe was shown, so at least they knew what it ought to look like, and that makes things a lot easier. Go ahead, Ken. Hmm. Yeah, yep. you you read through verse sixteen, right, MC? Is that right? That's affirmative. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not really going to talk much about um, these individual components of the gate. Um, but I, I tell you, I'm, I have been looking at this diagram, not not the one that uh, is from the uh, stones uh, to knock, uh, but but from uh, ybfree.org. They have a really interesting um, temple shown there, and they're actually comparing it. Each each wall, I mean, each uh, yeah, the, uh, the the outer wall. Uh, they're they're comparing that to two and a half football fields, approximately. <laughs> so, if you compare it that way, it's you can imagine that's that's a pretty good size. It's big, yep. And of course, yeah, that would be each side. Each side would be about. Two and a half football fields in length. Um, but so here, you know, he, he's talking about the gates and, and coming through the gates and, you know, and the sizes of the gates and such. Uh, but then he gets to, um, verse 15. It kind of gives you a little bit of a, uh, distance from it says from the face of the gate of the entrance into the face porch of the inner gate. 
it says 50 cubits. So that uh, gives you quite a big distance from, it, it looks like one gate to the next gate, you know, from the outer gate to the inner port gate. Um, and, and then he talks about what's on these gates and windows, he says in verse 16, which were palm trees. Now, you know, palm trees are very interesting because when I read about the um, the the second temple, you know, built by Shalomo, which apparently was in the mind of his father, right, King Dawid. It was in his heart and in his mind. And he thus, I, guess, I think he, he uh, illustrated it or drew it out for his son Shalomo or Solomon. And Shalomo took it and, and, and went with it once he became king. And, and we read a, a little bit about this in 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7, um, in which the walls... For example, it says in First uh, Kings six twenty nine and thirty two, those two verses, you see that the walls roundabout had figures of cherubim and palm trees. Oh, and open flowers within and without. The doors also were of olive tree, and carved upon them were cherubims and or cherubim and Palm trees and open flowers overlaid with gold. Um, and of course, there's gold upon the cherubim, it says, and upon the palm tree. So, so you're seeing, uh, cherubim and palm trees together. Um, and, and you see kind of the same thing, for example, in 1 Kings 7.36 about borders. You see graven cherubim lions, and palm trees. And, and then th- there is like the second witness to all this in uh, Second Chronicles chapter 3. You'll see in verses 5 and 7 that the greater house he sealed with fir tree and he overlaid with fine gold and set thereupon palm trees and chains. And then verse 7 says he overlaid also the house the beams, the posts, and the walls thereof, and the doors thereof, with gold and graved cherubim on the walls. So we're seeing, you know, again, a, a second witness of, of this great and wonderful uh, second temple. But it is, you, you see that there are images of cherubim, or cherubim, and palm trees together. Now, to me, uh, that that takes me back to when Adam and Chawa were kicked out of the garden. You know, they were kicked out. And right away, Yah put two cherubim uh, at the gate that was separating the Garden of Eden from where or from whence um, uh, Adam and Chawa had been kicked out to. Okay? So, and that was to prevent people from getting to the tree of life so it was yeah it was it was uh, these things uh were literally uh separators you know uh really showing judgment meaning they could not be judged to be able to come in again and, and take from the tree of life you know 
they they had sinned, so they couldn't do it in in their 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 bodily form. You know, they they could do it, Ken. The flesh. problem was that if they did, they would have been they would live forever in the fallen state, and that's why you said, "Oh, this is not good. <laughs> Get them right. out of here." Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, and, and of course, at that point, no one would ever be able to come into the Garden of Eden. Right. That was the whole idea. Uh, the fleshly man could never again come in until there is a massive change, as we know. <laughs> uh, and so the the idea of cherubim and palm trees, I think, is probably similar. Maybe palm trees have that same, you know, concept of of separation or division, you know, between uh, those of the outside world and those who are Yachad or one with Yah within. You know? uh, and that's that's what I was, you know, getting at was going out there, finding other places where I could find palm trees. And it's very second temple. So um, it's going to be very similar here. But, but only you had cherubim also. And funny thing is, remember, there were cherubim or cherubim on top of the lid of atonement, above it, in the Holy of Holies. And we're going to find out that that's not there anymore, is it? <laughs> I won't get into that yet, but uh, maybe that's why we're not seeing them out here on these gates. Maybe it's... The palm trees, you know, yeah. but but it, but it's a picture for us, um, a vision to look at and to know, oh, the, these are uh, places of, you know, judgment, places to come and go. And um, I think that's that's what's important here. We're we're finding out that there are different levels or divisions uh, for different peoples, you know, Um you have people who can maybe come into the outer court but are not ready for the inner court yet. Maybe they're not ready to go to the altar. Um, not ready for prime time. And, and thus you have these gates. Yeah. What's that? Not ready for prime time. <laughs> Never mind. Prime time. <laughs> That's right. Yes. The Yaz time, all right. Prime time. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's um, it's interesting to see that, and 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 we should probably associate the idea of palm trees, you know, as a vision of um, of, of judgment and separation. Um, and again, we're gonna we're gonna see that there are gates uh, to the outer wall, and then also gates to the inner court. Okay, which I guess would have a small wall as well. But also have uh, anyway that, that that brings me up to verse sixteen. So I'll let um, MP go ahead. All right, I'm I'm ready to go through twenty seven if you want, Mark. Are Are you ready to read on then, Ken? Sure. Okay. So then he says he brought me out, be out of court, 
over chambers and a pavement all around the court. Thirty chambers face the pavement. The pavement was by the side of the gateways, corresponding to the length of the gateways, and this was, it says, the lower pavement. Then he measured the width from the front of the lower gateway to the front of the inner court exterior, 100 cubits towards the east and the north. And as you pointed out, this is a big uh, facility. Right. On the outer court was also a gateway facing north, and he measured its length and its width. Its gate chambers, three on this side, three on that other side, its gate posts and its archways had the same measurements as the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits, its width 25 cubits. Its windows and those of its archways and also its palm trees had the same measurements as the gateway facing east. It was ascended by seven steps, and its archway was in front of it. A gate of the inner court was opposite the northern gateway, just as the eastern gateway, and he measured from gateway to gateway, and that measurement was 100 cubits. All right, well, let's just pause there, then go to MP this time. All righty. Um, okay, Azamra has this on verses 17 to 27. It's all of one sentence. It's uh, the, These verses describe the three gates of the outer courtyard situated specific, uh, respectively on the north, south, and east sides. The west side had no gate through the through the uh, wall. Um, <clears throat> actually, what what happened was that that's where the Holy of Holies was at. Okay, so uh, anyway, in uh, verses seventeen through nineteen, the man who had the appearance of brass in verse three took Zeke to the outer court and chambers. My goodness, look at the chambers. The way Zeke's description comes out in English just seems to infer astonishment at what he's seeing and experiencing. And I don't know if I could have handled it so calmly. Uh, KJV uses the word pavement to describe the stones calls, sto- what stones calls, rather, balconies. Verse 19 confirms that the entire building covers 10,000 square cubits, 100 cubits square. That's just floor space. Stone Sanak adds, this was the eastern gate, a subject of the discussion from the beginning of the chapter. Now, on Humash's diagram of the third temple, there are four cooking chambers. Hebrew is lesecha, uh, to forget due to distraction or inattention. Yeah, I don't get it either, unless... Yah miraculously made each gate or other uh, repetitive gate be as wonderful and unique as Zeke's spirit and mind us all, uh, as all, rather, the rest have been. Now, in the extreme corners of the Mishkan, that's where these, these uh, um, <clears throat> what were they? Basically, they're kitchens, okay? Uh, they're in the extreme corners. But there are also four lesechot flanking the aforementioned northeast and south courtyards and the Kodesh Kadashim, which is filling the western area that would have been uh, a a fourth courtyard had the Kodesh Kadashim not been there. These four chambers also had entrances, exits, to all of the courtyards that surrounded the inner courtyard where the Kohen Gadol, would offer the daily sacrifices, I assume, so that the stuff needed for the daily sacrifices or offerings would be placed or fetched in case the KJV, um, I'm sorry, the the Kohen Gadol, 
might need ready access. I abbreviated it and I messed it up. Anyway, verses 20 to 23 describe the entire enclosure. The outer walls of the temple proper with all of the accoutrements. Steps that led to the entrances on the north, south, and east gates to the temple proper. There was no entry to the temple on the west side because the holiest of all was on the west side of the temple. Each gate of the three looked and operated exactly the same as the others, so the description above should suffice. There's a central entrance and then three chambers on each side of the entryway. The west side, of course, held the Kodesh Kadeshim, which was almost literally surrounded by chambers, presumably for the accoutrements needed to perform the daily offerings, which may have needed to be changed regularly. And that's what I think was the case. Now, verses 24 to 27 have the messenger taking Zeke to the south gate, which looked exactly like the east and west gates. Verse 25 gives me the impression that each non-Kodesh Kadeshim gate is identical to the others. The posts and the ent- of the entryways seem to portray palm trees, so, <clears throat> so they are both utilitarian and decorative. Stone's note on verses 24 to 25 says that the dimensions and, and the accoutrements are the same as those already described, so that will be the case for all three gates. An interesting side point is that Stone's tells us that the pillars portray date palms. I like dates. They're easy to grab and pop into your mouth, and sweet as all get out. You just don't chop down on one unless the fruit is pitted. And don't trust the label. The pits are very hard. And I'm open to questions and comments through verse 27. Okay, Ken, you got anything else you want to add or go on? Well, you didn't leave me much time. (laughs) (laughs) You got about a minute. (laughs) Yeah, you got about a minute. Uh, I would just have to say, since I only have a little bit of time here, that um, I, I kind of read this a little bit differently in terms of lengths. Uh, when he says 100 uh, cubits being measured, I think it's from one gate, such as the south gate, over to the east gate will be 100 cubits. Because earlier it said from the outer east gate to the inner east gate was 50 cubits. Yeah. Ken, if you were to follow the wall... It would be a hundred cubits from gate to gate. Times I under the moon. Okay, well we're at the break, so we'll follow up so we we'll get back. And I pray, don't take me soon, cause I am here for reasons. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday the Lord turns around because. Yeah. 
All right, we are back, folks. Last segment right. for the day, and uh, I'm tempted to say, gee, do we go to Ken or did we not, since he, he basically palmed it off there as we went to break, but I'll let him see what he wants to do anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say, that too, that, yeah, I'm, I, I think I might be looking at this a little bit differently in terms of these lengths. So, for, for example, um, and maybe uh, MP can give a little... Um, Heads up on how he sees this. Is it? Um, I see, for example, uh, verse 19. Okay. Measuring from the forefront of the lower gate unto the for, forefront of the inner court without is 100 cubits eastward and northward. Now, I, it, it seems to me like it's measuring literally the inner court. From one gate to the other, but following the actual uh, court wall. You know, first eastward and then northward to get to the next gate. Okay, and that will be 100 cubits, but it could be 100 cubits east and then another 100 cubits north. It is, you know, it is the way I'm seeing it. it might be measured as. And that's the inner. The the inner court it says. Yeah. Now I know you're you're saying it's a hundred feet, like on the on the outer wall. And I'm I'm just totally lost with that. So what what would you say about that, uh, MP? Okay. Here's the deal. This is a square, one hundred cubits by one hundred cubits. Okay. Well, it's 100 cubits from the west wall to the east wall. It's 100 cubits from the north wall to the south wall. If you walk along the wall, you're going to go 50 feet to the corner and 50 feet to the gate. If you walk straight across, you're going to walk 50 feet to the altar and 50 feet to the gate. That's how it works. <laughs> it's only 100 feet by 100 feet. <laughs> it, may, it may seem to be that it's different going along the, the walls, but it's not. I mean, not not in not in distance anyway. Hmm. So from any well, gate, it, it any gate is exactly that, that the same distance, no matter how you go. But but it is talking about in verse nineteen the inner court, right? Yes, the inner court. Okay. Exactly. So, so you're saying that that the inner court is one hundred by one hundred. Whether that's the case or not, the wall is 100 by 100. The, the so whatever the, wall, whatever right? the whatever the difference, it's going to, it, it, it's going to be the same difference all the way. Okay, the wall is if it's two feet wide, so now you you're going from 100 feet to 96 feet. Okay, but you're still walking 48 feet to the one corner and 48 feet to the next gate. That's how it works. It's a perfect square. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and honest, so am I. You can right. tell by you can tell by listening to me talk. I'm a perfect square. Okay. okay. How about you, MC? Well, no. All I would <laughs> point out is that that is an assumption. It's not an assumption I necessarily disagree with, but uh, to assume that it's a perfect square, that's that's where some of the interesting commentaries that I read about the shape of the uh, the Mishkan. You know, hey, suppose it's not. 
we don't have enough information to say definitively, and, and that's all. Again, I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but I do think it's worth pointing yeah. out. Yeah, it's it's what we're given in this particular uh, uh, description. It's um, it's a hundred cubits by a hundred cubits, and if, whether that's an outside measurement or an inside measurement, I don't know, but it really doesn't make any difference. Okay, the walls are the same thickness all the but way around. It, it appears, and so eight. you're always you're gonna right. But if you're inside, you're gonna walk a little bit less than if you're on the outside because the walls are thick. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, it should be. Uh, anyway, so also it says that there are uh, what is it, thirty chambers all the way around. Now what I'm seeing is that there's five chambers on either side. Of either outer gate, so you got there are you got ten on uh, either side of the north gate, ten on the east, seven five. There on are either side, and on this drawing I'm looking at, uh, it has a priest kitchen in every corner of yes. the outer wall, a cooking chamber, correct? Says priest's kitchen. Okay, yeah. so we have the Priest kitchen in, in the corners, and then you have these thirty chambers, which is five on either side of of, of any outer gate, right? And, uh, and of yes. course, this is this is a lower um, area because because yeah. remember we're always walking up to 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 him, you know, uh, to to perfection. You're walking upward, um, so I keep seeing this like seven-step thing here and there. <laughs> I guess that's when you get to a gate. You're going to go up another seven steps, right? Okay. What What's happening with the with the drawing that I've got here is that uh, each of the gates, north, south, and east, have a, let's call it a portico, if you will, a dead center of the thing. And then there are three chambers on either side of that thing. Okay? And it's the same... Right around the inner courtyard where the where the altar is at. Okay, and then the other side is just completely different because of the, well, it's still got uh, two more things like that around the holy of holies, but it, it's that's an entirely different layout. Uh, it's special to itself. So I'm seeing I'm seeing let's see six twelve uh, twenty four thirty. I'm seeing 30 eastern uh, uh, small porticos around these gates, and right. th- and that, yeah, those were used for for uh, for you know putting stuff up in between services and whatever. You know, it's it's, it's storage facilities for per- particular things, and I'm and not, I don't know what they were. I wasn't there. Well, it could be actually where where people go and they. And they mingle with each other. Well, yeah, could be. Something like that, too, right? Yeah. Yep. Could be, Especially yeah, since, since you have kitchens uh, the, nearby. The, <laughs> the, the little chambers inside the gates are about a cubit and a half by a cubit and a half. So the chances of you going in there and hanging out with people is pretty slim. Okay. That's that's the way I'm looking at this at this one that I've got in my stones to knock anyway. Well, I'm I'm reading it six 
six cubits by six cubits each little chamber, and there's one cubit in between each chamber. So if a, if a cubit is, what, six feet long? Okay. Is that what we were talking about? No, if a, a cubit a cubit is uh, 19, 18 inches. Nominally roughly. 18 inches, but these are bigger cubits. No, it could yeah, be. That's what I could thought be. in the beginning. It did say... Could be, but I don't think I don't think they're they're two cubit long cubits. No, they're they're a, they're a cubit and a hand breadth, so they're probably on the order of uh, uh, twenty two inches 24 or something inches. like that. Twenty two, maybe a couple feet. Yeah, yeah. Two. Okay, twenty two, so close to two feet each. Yeah, okay. roughly. And it's like I said, it's, it's just yeah, a you're right. place just to stash stuff when you when, you know when you and I'm and I'm sure that they're designated. Each one is designated for something. But, yeah. you know, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you for sure. You wasn't there. <laughs> you mean you weren't in his vision? We we would expect that. The, no, they, they wouldn't, no, they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> <laughs> At least not yet, brother. You'll be walking in there. I'm telling you right now. Uh, anyway, um, let's see. Yeah, I'll, you know, I, boy, I... I would probably have to study this for hours and hours to get to make sense of things, at least for me, because it just seems like the wording, um, yeah, the inner and the outer quartz, it's 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 a little hard in terms of measurements. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. the inner quartz, I believe, are probably the ones that are surrounding the altar in the dead center. Yes, and it the is. outer quartz are the ones that are, uh, are outer. Yeah, they're. They're the ones that are at the entryways, the gates. Right. And, and what I'm reading, every time it, it it talks about some of these gates, for example, <laughs> even, even verse 20, uh, 27. Okay, again, it says the gate in the inner court. So it's... There are, there are a set of gates in the inner court. It is 100 cubits. And they're exactly the same and, yeah, and right. directly across from each other from the east gate or the north or south gate. Right, yeah. And I guess there's about, what, 50 cubits between the, like the... Um, well, from, gate from, the, the, from the wall gate. to the center of the altar, 50 cubits. Uh, actually, we read that. That's uh, yeah, um, 100 cubits was... across, 100, both, both ways. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, here it is. Verse, verse 15. Okay, from the face of the, of the gate at the entrance, meaning the outer wall, and the face of the porch of the inner gate was 50 cubits. So, uh, to me, it seems like from the outer gate to the inner gate will be 50 cubits. Okay. That's, from that verse. that's not what I, that's not the, we're not looking at the same drawing. Obviously. Okay. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, we're not, because you're, you're you're looking at the uh, stones to knock, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm I'm looking at this, um, and, and I actually compared all the ones online, kind of look the same. Yeah. They're all pretty much geared the same. And they, um, yeah, showing the you know three gates on each and all the yeah, chambers they, going around, yeah. stuff like that. They just don't give dimensions. <laughs> I think they're afraid to. <laughs> uh, Anyway, now, now the, uh, on this drawing, the gates or the uh, 
the storage units or whatever around the uh, Holy of Holies. Okay. Right. There, there are only five, and they're of very different dimensions than the ones in the northeast and south gates. I don't know if you've got the same drawing as I have or not. So, uh, No, I'm seeing um, 30 um, build, little buildings all the way around that are the exact same size. Ah. Just like this verse says, it actually says there's 30 of them and they're, what is it, six, six cubits by six cubits each. Um, okay. Entirely different. Yeah. Okay. Entirely different drawings. A little different, huh? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, um, what was that up to about verse 27? Uh, that is correct. No, 20, 23. Yeah. Okay. I, I stopped at the, uh, at verse 24. You ready to read on MP2? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yep. After that, he says, he brought me towards the south, and there a gateway was facing south, and he measured to gate posts and archways according to those same measurements. So there's a symmetry here. Uh, there were windows in it and in its archways all around, like those windows. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 25 cubits. Seven steps led up to it and its archway in front of them. And it had palm trees on its gate posts and on this side and uh, one on this side and one on that side. There was also a gateway on the inner court facing south. And he measured from gateway to gateway towards the south 100 cubits. You know, I don't see that there's a whole lot of uh, information in there that, except for the detail that we haven't already talked about. I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and continue on because we're going to have a lot more measurements here. And I'd like to at least get through some of this before we hit the... Uh, the top of the hour. Then it says he brought me to the outer, I'm sorry, the inner court through the southern gateway. He measured the southern gateway according to these same measurements. So again, symmetry. Also its gate chambers, its gate posts, and its archways were according to those same measurements. There were windows in it and its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. There were archways all around, 25 cubits long and 5 cubits wide. Its archways faced the outer court, palm trees on its gateposts, and going up to it were eight steps. He brought me into the inner court facing east. He measured the gateway according to these same measurements. So again, symmetry. Also its gate chambers, its gate its gateposts and its archways according to these same measurements, and there were windows in it and in its archways all around. It was 50 cubits long and 25 cubits wide. Its archways faced the outer court, and palm trees were on its gateposts on this side and on that side, and going up to it were eight steps. Then he brought me to the north gateway and measured it according to these same measurements. Also its gate chambers, its gateposts, and its archways. It had windows all around. Its length was five cubits, and its width 25 cubits. Its gate post face the outer court palm trees were on the gate post on this side and on that side and going up to it again were eight steps and it doesn't say again i just noted that there as we went through it um, then we're going to talk about something a bit different where the sacrifices were prepared there was a chamber and its entrance by the gate post of the gateway where they washed the burnt offering 
in the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side and two tables on that side. Now, I'm going to make a comment here before because there's something thrown in here which is uh, kind of interesting. Obviously, you'll find the rabbinic um, Jewish commentaries, things like Mark are reading from, all kinds of indications about where this is where the, the Mashiach is going to come. Certainly, we see um, apostolic understandings that say, no, no, this is going to be the Antichrist and there won't be this uh, this new uh, temple or if it is, it's bad, don't, don't have anything to do with it. But interestingly here, this is the place where he says this is the place where they washed the burnt offering. So if this has not happened, and I know there will those be uh, those that will say it's, it was all over in 70 A.D., then this is talking about something that looks like it's still future, in which case there will be washing of burnt offerings at least. Let me read a bit more and I'll pause. Well, we'll get to the place where we talk about some other chambers for other people. Uh, and I'll go to you, Ken. In the vestibule of the gateway were two tables on this side, two tables on that side, on which to slay the burnt offering, the sin offering, the chatat, and the trespass offering. At the outer side of the vestibule, as one goes up to the entrance of the northern gateway, were two tables. And on the other side of the vestibule of the gateway were two tables. Four tables were on this side, four tables on that side. By the side of the gateway, eight tables on which they slaughtered. Uh, and then it just says on which they slaughtered. Now the word sacrifices is altered there, is, is added there, so I'm careful about that when they're in italics. Uh, it, it's necessarily true that, uh, something was, um, was, well, killed, but it's not necessarily, uh, sacrifices. And, uh, sometimes the, uh, the translators don't pay sufficient differences to uh, an offering and a sacrifice. There were also four tables of hewn stone for the burnt offering, the uh, olah, one cubit and a half long, one cubit and a half wide, and one cubit high. On these they laid the instruments with which they slaughtered the burnt offering and the sacrifice. And in that case, notice that we'll see both words in the Hebrew. Inside were hooks, a handbreadth wide, fastened all around, and the flesh of the sacrifices on the tables. Okay, let's pause there. We'll go to you, Ken. We've got about five minutes. Um, yeah, firstly, I, I really think it's interesting, again, looking at the palm trees, that, that we see there is a palm tree on the left and a palm tree on the right as you're entering through a gate. It's not, um, what, what's it called? The mez, uh, mezzanine? No, not mezzanine. Um, Azora? No. The, uh, where, where you would put the uh, Ten Commandments on each side of your doorposts. Oh, oh. There is, there is a Hebrew word for that. Uh, yeah, the Matsutsa. Do you remember what that is? Matsutsa. What's that? Matsutsa. Matsutsa? Ma, uh, some will say mezuzah, but uh, yeah. okay. Oh, uh, yeah, Matsutsa, right, okay. Yeah, this this is what that, that reminds me of. Um, and, and, of course, again, if these were likened to uh cherubim, uh then then you know that there is um there is judgment there. There's law, right? I mean not really law, but uh just like what, what how we would put his commandments in uh in in that little device on each side of our doorposts. You know? Uh, uh this is who we are on the inside. You know, th- this is what we live by. And the fact that there are palm trees there that uh, that we also associate with Caribbean, then then we should know that 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 separation does have to do with um, judgment. You know, it has to do with righteousness. Yeah. 
So um, I, I think that's that's kind of cool to see, you know, one on each side, just like we we read about in the Torah with the uh, Metutsa. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, and then uh, I also noticed the outer gates had seven steps, right? And whereas the inner gates, I believe, had eight steps. That's correct. That's why I remember reading that anyway. Remember, can be very important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, eight eight often has to do with that that you know future millennium, the one where perfection will then be forevermore. You know, kind of a eight. Um, you know, after uh, Mashiach sets up house for a thousand years, which this this could be what's being shown here. You know. Between the the uh, seventh millennium and the eighth millennium, uh, there's there's still going to be some um, sacrificing going on. Here we see these these tables where the offerings will be slaughtered, and apparently they'll be taken through that north gate, right? Brought brought in and put on. Um, on I would presume. Um, the, uh the drawing that I have has a has a uh, an aperture uh, a narrow hallway from the northeast chamber or the northwest chamber whatever uh, right out into the inner courtyard where they could uh, take the, the sacrifices right to there those places were there to to clean and to skin the animals that were being offered okay so like not not a wall there but like a um, opening. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a from narrow passageway, tables. probably a cubit or so wide. I thought these tables were on either side of the porch of the gate, like in verse thirty nine. It says, and in the porch of the gate, there's two tables on this side, two tables on that side. Okay, um, yeah, I'm not seeing anything like that on this drawing. Okay, never mind. Yeah, well, I'm just going by what, what the text says. <laughs> it seems like all this is right there at the gate, and. You know, I would think you would just walk through the gate and do it. But, okay, if there's another sidestep thing there, uh, I, I suppose the Leewites have the authority to walk around the gate, <laughs> right? <laughs> because they're special. Um, yeah, well, there's, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be an aperture of some kind. Uh, uh, it's not actually drawn on this particular map. However, uh-huh. there has to be an aperture to get through from the outer courtyard to the inner courtyard and to the, uh, the altar itself. Okay? So, you know, this is these are not perfect drawings, and I'm sure yours aren't either. Yeah, right, right. True. Yeah, we can only do, you know, do, do, do the best we can. And remember, again, I'm not so sure these are, this is even a, a real physical thing. I think it's just something that is to um, uh, put us on the right. Yeah. Well, right. This is uh, uh, just like. All right. Legend of the diagram of what? the third temple. It says numbers for after each item refer to chapter and verse where mentioned. Uh, E.g. one one is mentioned in chapter forty. Okay, well, that, that ends it for today, guys. We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up next week. Thanks. Shalom, folks.